Welcome back. So today I want to talk about Black Maternal Health Week because it's this week and as a birth sister, I was thinking about the best, sorry, I'm like looking at my plane because I need to wipe it off. As a birth sister, um, thinking about the best way to, I don't know, create content or talk about things that have to do with Black Maternal Health Week, figuring out for the people who I'm in community with kind of what's important um, and what is foundational to our knowledge and the things that we should have been taught about. Y'all know that's my jam. So I wanted to read from a chapter of Birthing Justice, um, which is a book that I found a couple of years ago that's been really good in my learning about um, black, like about blackness from the perspective of birth. Um, and I actually have the book outside of the frame, so I'm gonna grab it. <laughs> um, and I'm wearing my reparation shirt because period, okay? Hold on. So I think I kind of made a little cozy corner. So it's like reading, um, reading Rainbow or something, I don't know. But like I said, I'm reading from this book called Birthing Justice, Black Women, Pregnancy and Childbirth. Okay, can you see? get closer okay hopefully you can see but this is a really good book um so i'm reading from chapter 19 and today i really wanted to talk about black midwives because i think a lot of times we kind of well number one we aren't taught the history of birth or people or how black people used to birth in this country and also because i think given the situation now i remember when i was in my doula training somi taught us that years ago not very long ago one percent of people were born in the hospital and now that number is a lot higher and i think you know people will say or well, i've heard common um thoughts about home birth or birthing in a birth center or birthing outside of the hospital and people will will um kind of project fear that's really been systemically instilled in us so i think it, it's helpful to know kind of what used to be done so that we can tell that it's like returning to those ways of birthing is not something that's new um and also some of the things that our community has been doing to to um, continue being very resilient, continue to be um, very community-like, very um, communal and supportive and loving on loving towards each other. So I'm gonna read a part of, a couple of parts of Birthing Freedom, which is a <clears throat> chapter on the Black American midwifery and liberation struggles. And this chapter is important to me because it talks about the ways that black midwives were um, integral to the like emotional safety um, and the safekeeping, safekeeping of traditional birthing practices. And not only that, this chapter is important to me because it, it goes kind of in detail about how we got from 
birthing with the support of black midwives to now birthing in a hospital um, and kind of the systemic way that obstetricians or the like blossoming world of OBGYNs um, or gynecological care started to do very violent things, do very um, racist things towards black, black midwives, making it so that um, it was looked at like black midwives were dirty or black midwives didn't have, you know, all of the information they needed when in reality, it was racism. It was, you know, they might have been coming up with new medical um, techniques or ideas or things that would be helpful to the community. And rather than teaching it to black women, you know, white men um, or even sometimes white women came in and said like, no, you all need to be doing it our way. You need to bring these people to the hospitals and just like the amount of violence and fear tactics and manip manipulation that went into that, I think it's important to know about because we see how it's greatly affected us and how our ideas around birth and birthing in the hospital or birthing outside of the hospital or the um, number of black midwives has been really impacted by that um, strategic and racist as practices that they were doing. So, like I said, I'm reading from Ruth Hayes' chapter in Birthing Justice, and I'm not going to start at the beginning, because um, I don't want this to be super long. I just want to give kind of like a little taste, you know what I'm saying? Um, and on my other page, not moving on, I have a couple of um, posts about black midwives and like the importance and even the public health tactics that were used to make it so that people thought that birthing with the support of black midwives wasn't right. So here we go. It is important to note, however, that reproduction has always been a site of resistance to racialized oppression. Since this nation's inception, black women in the United States have found means to control and direct their fertility. So we've already always had control of our fertility. These means, however, are not limited to methods for preventing pregnancy and birth. Although it is seldom discussed in the literature, birthing practices have also provided rich opportunities to create community and resist dehumanization. As the system of plantation slavery developed, enslaved women combined a variety of West African ritual and medicinal traditions to form a distinctly new world healing culture. Within this culture, midwifery was not considered a trade or vocation, but rather a calling. Enslaved midwives were often old members of communities who had already raised their own families and gained birthing experience both firsthand and through assisting friends and relatives. Their status as elders led to the title Granny Midwives. There's no certification in that. Um, which I used to refer to enslaved midwives and the women who continue their healing traditions after emancipation. Among these wise women, supernatural manifestations were often used to identify potential midwives. Babies born under a veil, as seven children, or as one of a set of twins were said to possess especially potent spiritual powers. While these gifts could be channeled into a variety of pursuits, women who possess them most often enter the role of midwife. Granny midwives rely almost as much on spiritual guidance as on medical knowledge and experience, and their practice reflected a holistic concern with the well-being of their charges. Among enslaved people, 
Conjuring and other forms of magical practice were considered integral to properly maintaining one's health. In her exploration of the granny midwife as a literary and cultural figure, Valerie Lee notes that absent the negative associations with witchcraft, conjuring has been an empowering concept for many black, hold on, <laughs> women. Conjuring pays homage to an African past while providing a present day idiom for power, magic, and ancient wisdom within a pan-African cultural context. Conjuring can also serve as a counter-hegemonic discursive framework. Under chattel slavery, it functioned as a supernatural means of transforming an otherwise harsh reality. Such practices allow bond women to claim birth as a space of care and agency for themselves, humanizing an experience that the slave economy understood as purely economic. And then I'm gonna skip down to where it says, as they tended the sick, granny midwives also constructed a counter-hegemonic system of wellness that attended to the multifaceted needs of their communities. Historian Sheila Davis and Cora Ingram argue that grannies represented the high point of authority and control in plantation communities. They were seen as models of strength, wisdom, and power who performed a variety of critical social and spiritual as well as medical duties. One key ritual, with which public health officials would later term fussing, is especially indicative of the interwoven spiritual and medicinal aspects of granny midwifery. Fussing involved beautifying a woman's body in preparation for the transformative event of birth. A woman's hair was braided and pomaded, her, le her legs and calves greased, her arms and groin talcum powder, and her person sprinkled with sweet water or perfume. Strong, positive smells provided by perfumes and lotions were believed to counteract any ill will that might linger in the area, providing yet another layer of protection for the newborn child. Fussing also had important, though frequently misunderstood, medicinal purposes. Massage distracts the birthing woman from labor pain, increasing her ability to cope with it, and relaxes her, which speeds up the birthing process. Excuse me. Fussing also probably involved massage of the birth, birthing woman's perineum. Extremely effective at preventing vaginal tearing, this technique has only recently gained mainstream prominence in obstetric practice. In the context of US slavery, fussing and other rituals surrounded, surrounding childbirth pushed back against the dehumanizing tropes that slaveholders used to justify exploiting black women physically, sexually, and reproductively. Though conjuring and community building, granny midwives transformed the experience of birth into a unique space of agency, a moment in which a woman could a moment in which women could care for each other, beautify each other, and celebrate the arrival of a new member of the family. And now I'm gonna skip down to where they talk about um how granny midwives started to be looked at as um, obsolete or how other people started to come to the community and become more interested in the process of birth when it came to black people. And the previous part matters a lot to me because it talked about bringing ritual and spirituality, regardless of what religion or um, belief system that you may have. We know that birth is more than just a physical act. It requires a lot of mental fortitude. It requires um, a belief in something that is guiding you or um, 
holding you as you kind of transform yourself and bring a life into the world so this really talks about from a um from the context in which they set um west african people or african people who were brought to this land who were doing their best to maintain cultural practices um that were not always accessible to them as in they couldn't do it publicly but they did what they could to make sure that their their communities were straight so like if you go to an OBGYN, more often than not you're not going to get somebody that's rubbing on your back or something like that like those things are not the intuition the um spirituality the intention um has all been removed from medicine and so that's a lot of why at least you know my thinking and thinking of a lot of people who i'm in community with believe that is one of the reasons aside from like blatant racism institutional racism poverty etc um that that we need to be instilling these cultural practices back into our community and then also making it normal amongst communities to care for each other in this way so that's my little ad lib but anyway okay during the late antebellum period in the united states southern elites desire for medical attendance and birth became established among the antebellum southern planter class and in the early 19th century physicians began attending the births of both free and enslaved plantation women and mind you all of these people prior to there being hospitals or places where you would go to give birth everybody was giving birth at home when atlantic slave trade was officially ended in 1808 Enslaved women's reproductive capacities became even more important to sustaining the slave economy. So they couldn't bring people here anymore. They just needed to make sure, or what they were trying to do was ensure that more babies were being born. So they wanted to pay closer attention to the reproductive labor of black people, black birthing people. Um, I'm going to read the sentence again. When the Atlantic slave trade was officially ended in 1808, enslaved women's reproductive capacities became even more important to sustaining the slave economy. Marie Jenkins Swartz noted, during the antebellum area, the expectation increased among members of the owning class that enslaved women would contribute to the economic success of the plantation not only through productive labor, but also through procreation. Slaveholders tried a variety of means to boost the number of children born to enslaved mothers, including medical treatment. As slaveholders called upon their services, doctors were increasingly drawn into the drama of slavery's perpetuation. Slaveholders' desire to increase their human property coincided with doctors' need for experience, creating an economically symbiotic relationship between the two groups. Although elite women, white women, um, desired medical, medical care during birth, they did not trust inexperienced doctors. And as noted above, most physicians completed their training with little, if any, practical knowledge of childbirth. As a result, many, many Southern medical men attended their first births in the slave quarters. Where regular physicians treated enslaving birthing women, they considered the slaveholder to be their client, often failing even to converse with the woman herself. Their lack of access to and interest in enslaved women's medical histories and needs made their treatment even less if, if, efficacious. 
I could read, but I don't know that word. And deepen the, ex the existing tension and professional competition between medical men and granny midwives. Physicians were consistently disturbed that in many communities, whites and blacks alike often felt, often relied heavily on enslaved healers. Despite their general antagonism, however, medical men were known to adopt enslaved midwives' herbal medicines, recognizing that they were often more effective than their own. They sometimes promoted legislation to, to forbid slaves from practicing medicine in an attempt to repair the very real breach these healers produced in the power relations idealized by white Southerners. So they just wanted us to like stop doing what we were doing. They felt it was competition even though they were taking our stuff. Um, does that sound familiar to me? It does. Okay. These efforts underscore the fact that in the antebellum period, all physicians were competing for legitimacy with other types of healers. When white physicians launched their takeover of childbirth, then slaveholders were willing to let them usurp the place of the plantation midwife as much to restore the proper balance of power as to increase fertility among bondswomen. Enslaved women also pushed back against physicians' burgeoning medical hegemony. They generally distrusted owner-allied physicians and the frequently painful and ineffective treatments they employed convinced many that they were no more effective than their own healers. In an attempt to retain some control over their bodies, many disobeyed doctor's orders. Physician-attended births reinforced the desperate lack of bodily autonomy that characterized chattel slavery and paradoxically deepened the bondswomen reliance on granny midwives. Schwartz noted that as white intervention in birthing and healing increased, enslaved women were forced to keep secret certain of their own medicinal customs. Their, secretly in, their secrecy and mistrust was a result of black iatrophobia, a community-wide fear where am I? Uh, of physicians among black Americans as a result of the medical profession's history or historic neglect and abuse. Midwives were and remain key figures in addressing these fears and creating more responsive and respectful models of care. Enslaved midwives in the late antebellum period were able to benefit even from cooperating with physicians, both by keeping abreast of medical trends and innovations and by making themselves appear more compliant and therefore trustworthy to their owners. More importantly for the parturient women, granny midwives worked in the same negotiating capacity with doctors as they did with masters and mistresses. Like modern-day doulas, professional birth attendants who provide non-medical support during labor, they intervene sometimes successfully when doctors propose treatments that the birthing person objected to. In doing so, they resisted the medical subjugation of black birthing bodies, even within the institution of slavery. Y'all, we've been doing this, right? I'm just going to look and see. Um... The next couple parts of the book, and I'll read it if y'all want me to, but I think I've read enough. Um, it talks about how once black people became free, black midwives became subject to public health campaigns. Um, and because a lot of a lot of uh, black midwives couldn't read, um, the system put in place measures to which you had to read like you had to be able to fill out a birth certificate or instead of just teaching people how to read they made it so that 
you know, the profession or the calling that they had was no longer accessible to them. So I always think it's very important to know where we came from because more often than not, we knew what we were doing and they knew what they were doing. And also there are, there's medicine in the past and there is healing in knowing that we've been doing this. It's not something that's new. Black midwives have been doing their thing. Um, and it's important to recognize that and also um, recognize that, but also begin to understand how deeply embedded ideas of um, lack or an inability to do it on our own or inability to be self-sufficient within our communities. We have to know that we've done it already and that we could do it again. Um, and a big part of that is changing our attitudes and understanding where we came from. So happy Black Maternal Health Week. I hope that you enjoy. Again, I was reading from Black Birthing Justice. It's a really good book. It's a little bit expensive one, like line, but if you could find it, it's really good. Um, and maybe I'll read from it again another time. It's a lot of good stuff in this book. But like I said, happy maternal or Black Maternal Health Week, and I hope you have a good day. Bye.